Good morning. Thank you for joining us for this Thursday edition of Face the Truth, the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. As always, I count it a great honor to have you listening, and I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to everyone who tunes in. I've been mentioning the last couple of days that I want to take some time over the next few podcasts to simply answer some questions. If you have not done so already, please text, email, call, or message me on social media with your Bible questions. Uh, The last two days, I have covered two questions per podcast. Today, I'm going to try to deal with a subject which I will probably not be able to adequately address in 30 minutes or less. Even though I promise I'm going to do my best to be mindful of the time, I do ask that you understand the nature of the topic is such that I may have to take more time than I usually do to fully explore this subject. The question has been asked in some form or fashion by several different people within the last few days. And so obviously, it's something that a lot of folks are wondering about, especially in light of certain events. Now, before I begin, let me just assure you that I'm going to do my best to not deal with any particular individuals, even though a certain man may well be the reason the question is coming up so frequently. For those who do not know, there is a pastor in Louisiana uh, who was recently arrested. He has refused to obey the orders of his governor and has continued to conduct services without regard to the size limitations of any kind. This pastor is gaining a great deal of notoriety across our nation. Uh, He has gone on various television programs to present his case. Uh, He's now involved in planning a public protest at his local police station. And please know that I intend to address the issue from a purely biblical perspective without regard to this individual pastor. I want to make it abundantly clear that I am not going to criticize any preacher of the gospel for leading his congregation in the way he believes God wants him to. I also would like to just say that I think those who support him should grant that same liberty to anyone who disagrees uh, and not criticize those folks uh, as not having faith or cowering down, giving in to ungodly authorities. I also need to say that I'm fairly confident that because of the subject nature at hand, this podcast will probably be shared with a number of people outside our local assembly. It would not surprise me, in fact, if the individual in question happened to be sent a link so that he too can listen. And if that happens, I do hope and pray that he knows I am not in any way 
questioning his choices. I am not in any way trying to attack the stand that he's making. I am simply trying to respond to questions within my local church. And I'm trying to do that from the scriptures. Again, this is not about him. It's about the Bible. Nevertheless, it's because his case is becoming so visible through the news and social media that I feel compelled to help the people I pastor to have a clear understanding of what the Word of God says about all of this. Furthermore, because of various statements that he and or his supporters have made in public formats, there are a few things that they are promoting, which I, as pastor of this church, believe I must address. I'll do my best, however, to not make it personal. I want to address principles, not personalities. So with all of that behind us, let us consider today's question. As I've said, I've actually received this question more than once. Uh, In fact, I think about four times just in the last uh, few days. And so um, I'm going to take one of those questions that was submitted along these lines and deal with that one. Uh, I think the person who best encapsulated this question was a listener who actually contacted me through social media. So I'm going to use his question as the launching pad, trusting that uh, by the time I finish today's podcast, I will have also answered whatever aspect of the question the rest of you have either asked me directly or been wondering in your minds. So here's the question that was submitted. I know that most apostolic churches are following what state and local governments are saying, but where is the line? How long do we as Christians obey them? I realize the Bible says to obey the law of the land, but what about Paul and Silas? They were beaten, jailed, and told not to preach Jesus anymore, but they did it anyway. I know all of this will pass, but in the future, how much do we allow and bend before we resist? I realize that's obviously more than one question, but the basic gist of it is this. Is a Christian obligated to obey all civil authorities? And if not, at what point is civil disobedience justified? It's a valid question. It's an important question. And that's why I want to take whatever time is necessary today, even if that means going beyond our allotted 30 minutes, I want to take whatever time I need to take and try to answer this question for the people I'm privileged to pastor. Now, it's easy to see, I think, why this question would be on so many minds today since we currently find ourselves being told by local, state, and federal governments that we are to limit the size of our attendance during our worship services and other church activities. There are those who are claiming that such limits amount to discrimination against religious practices. Some are saying it's an infringement on our First Amendment right uh, to the free exercise of religion and the freedom to assemble. Uh, 
Beyond that, some are saying that these governmental mandates clearly violate the scriptural command to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Considering these statements, it is fitting and actually necessary that we determine what God expects us to do in such circumstances. While I firmly believe that we must ask for, listen to, and obey the voice of God as He gives us direction, I also contend that God has already spoken very directly through the pages of His Word. Remember, His voice will never contradict His Word. So whatever we're feeling in prayer, it must all, always be filtered through the Scripture. It is imperative that we begin the process of determining what God wants through the study of Scripture. Whatever we feel in prayer must align with the guidelines of the Bible. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to turn to the Word of God and see what answers we can find there. Now, if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you don't normally listen, I would ask of you, in order to be fair to me as a teacher, that you would go back and listen to some of my previous broadcasts. Uh, Listen to the way that I take the Scripture and deal with things from the Word of God. There is nothing more important to me than God's Word because He is His Word. We cannot neglect what's written in the pages of the Scripture, nor can we claim that the Spirit is leading us to do something the Scripture plainly says we should not do. So we're going to turn to the Bible and let it be our source of authority. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I would ask, as you listen to the podcast, get your Bible and follow along with me. This is going to be important, especially with this passage, because of what I'm going to do in just a moment. I want you to be able to read along with me as I uh, read it to you uh, with a few definitional changes. All right? So, So get your Bible Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works." But to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, the first thing we need to know is that in this passage, there are several times, obviously, that the word power is mentioned. The Greek word that's used here is exousia, and it actually means authority. Now, although there are other Greek words which are translated power throughout the New Testament, words such as dunamis, which means strength or ability, everywhere in Romans 13 that you read the word power, it is always exousia. It's never dunamis. It's always exousia. 
it is always authority. Understanding that distinction, let's read the first few verses, substituting the word authority in the place of power. This is where I want you to follow along in your Bible, and I'm just going to make the substitution here, uh, the word authority in the place of the word power. All right? So follow along, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher authorities. For there is no authority but of God. The authorities that be are ordained of God. Now, let me interject the word ordained there. The Greek word means appointed. These authorities have been appointed by God. Verse 2, whosoever therefore resisteth, the Greek word is opposes the authority, resisteth the ordinance. And the Greek word there is institution of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the authority? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So I hope that you got that. Let me just read through it again very quickly. And rather than taking time to explain these other Greek words, I'm going to just insert them. I just want to give you a clear picture of what these verses are saying. Let every soul be subject unto the higher authorities, for there is no authority but of God. The authorities that be are appointed by God. Therefore, whosoever therefore opposes the authority opposes the institution of God. And they that oppose shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the authority? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, verse 1, which states, There is no authority but of God. This verse is telling us that God is the original authority. He is the source of all true authority. Whatever authority exists, it comes from God. Any authority granted to any individual or governing body is merely delegated authority. They didn't create that authority. They didn't... Um, generate that authority, that authority, what real authority they have is only the authority God has delegated to them. And that's why verse 2 says that whoever opposes that authority is going to receive damnation because resisting or opposing authority involves opposing God himself. Now, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. All true authority must be derived from God. God has instituted, uh, instituted certain plans of governance for the well-being of his creation. For instance, God instituted familial governance. He established the pattern of governing the family, the home. In that plan, God has set up that the husband is the head of the house, now, all this I can back up with Scripture, but I'm trying to keep this in a podcast that doesn't take us three days to get through. So, so grant me a little bit of liberty here as you're listening today. 
But God established this plan for the family, and, and he set up a plan of governance uh, for the family in which the husband is the head of the house. The position is ordained by God. The position is ordained by God. Not every man who fills that position is ordained by God, and not every action that is committed within that position is ordained by God. But the position itself is God-ordained. Now, within this familial governance, the wife is to be in subjection to her husband, and the children are to be in subjection to their parents. This is the God-given chain of command, the God-ordained chain of command, which is clearly laid out in scriptures, such as, for example, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Now, while God instituted this familial plan of governance, he has ordained that the husband be the head of the house, but that does not mean that God has authorized that man to do whatever he wants, however he wants. Remember, whatever authority we exercise is only delegated to us from the original authority, which is God. What that means is, so long as we do not contradict the source of our authority, God, we do have the right to explain, expand, clarify, or amplify guidelines that may not be specifically addressed elsewhere by God's authority. For example, as the head of the house, a husband has the right to establish a budget for his family or set a curfew for his children. While these things may not be addressed specifically in the Bible. There are certain biblical principles that apply, but there's no clear verse that says, thou shalt not spend more than $100 per month eating out, or thou shalt make thy children go to bed by 9 p.m. every night. There are principles, as I said, that tell us to be good stewards, Principles that tell us to raise our children properly. But there are no verses that expressly tell us how to achieve those goals. And so it is well within the husband's authority to add guidelines which enhance the authority God has given him. A biblical example of this is found in the very first book of the Bible. In fact, within the setting of the very first family. Genesis chapter 2. Now, I want you to follow along with me here. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's verse 7, God created man. Verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God created man in verse 7. Verses 16 and 17, he gave instructions regarding the tree of knowledge of good and evil, specifically saying, don't eat of it. But let's see what happens next. Verse number 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And then verse 21. 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, I hope you're following the timeline here. God created man in verse 7. He gave instructions in verses 16 and 17. He said it was not good for man to be alone in verse 18. And he created woman in verses 21 and 22. Therefore, Eve was not created until after God gave the instructions concerning the forbidden fruit. Now, let's go to chapter 3. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Now watch this, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I find it interesting that when God gave this rule to Adam, he only said, don't eat it. When Eve quoted the rule, however, she said, we can't eat it and we can't even touch it. Now, I wonder where that additional rule came from. Remember, she was not around when God issued the prohibition. She had to have gotten this from her husband. Evidently, her husband added something that enhanced the established rule, knowing that if you don't touch it, you'll never have to worry about eating it. What Adam did was not in contradiction to God's law, so it was well within his rights under his delegated authority to expand on what would be required within his family. Now, there is something else that we've got to understand. While it's true that disobedience against any delegated authority constitutes disobedience against God himself, we must also know that any authority that goes against what God has expressly given is not delegated authority, it is usurped or stolen authority. In other words, if Adam had said, oh, you can eat it, but only once per week, he would have been usurping God's authority by claiming the right to violate what God had clearly said. Regardless of the form of governance being discussed, whether it's familial, governmental, or even ecclesiastical, that is, within the church, the only authority which we are obligated to obey is that which has been delegated by God himself. Whenever someone who is in a a position of authority, I don't care if it is um, a mayor, a county executive, a governor, a president, or a pastor, if they try to give some rule that clearly violates the word of God, then they are outside of the authority which God has delegated to them. They don't have that authority. 
Our responsibility, get this now, our responsibility is only to the original authority. I hope you got that. If an authority makes a rule that goes against God's rule, then obedience to the usurped authority would mean disobedience to the original authority. Are you following me now? To obey an authority that goes against God is to disobey God himself. All right? Let me, again, try to give you an example to explain. I don't want to be too technical here. I want everyone to understand. In the past, I've been asked by women whose husbands were not in the church, what do I do when my husband says I have to wear pants or I must stay home from church? Since the Bible tells me I have to obey my husband, shouldn't I do what he asks? Won't I be in disobedience if I don't go ahead and wear pants? Well, the answer to me is very clear. You don't obey your husband in those instances because your husband is usurping authority which God did not give him. No one has the authority to contradict God. If God says you cannot do this, then no one has the authority to say you can. All right? I hope, I hope that I'm making sense to you now. God's authority, when it's clear on a subject, no one has the right to violate that authority. But as long as the governing body or the individual does not directly violate God's authority, according to Romans 13, we are expected to comply. So that brings us to our current situation. The governmental stipulations and guidelines that are being urged and in some cases forced upon churches do those things fall under delegated authority or usurped authority? Well, as we consider this aspect of the subject, let me agree with the statement that was made by our listener uh, that it's true that there were leaders in the New Testament church which were indeed beaten and or imprisoned because of their refusal to obey various authorities. Please keep in mind, however, the principles I've already established. When the religious and or civil leaders told them not to preach in Jesus' name, those leaders didn't have the authority to issue such a mandate. Therefore, the continued preaching was not an act of rebellion. Rather, it was an act of submission. Because all true authority comes from God, when they continued to preach after being told not to, we should see that as obedience to God rather than disobedience to government. And so, this again brings us to the question of the current guidelines issued for churches. Do these guidelines violate the mandates of God? Because remember, this is the only exception to our required obedience. We are to obey the civil authorities, the laws of the land. But there is an exception, 
and that's when the laws of the land are in violation of God's word. If they try to establish authority that contradicts God, that's usurped authority. We don't follow that. All right? So let's talk about the current guidelines. And I know every locale, every principality, every city, municipality, I should have said not principality, although that's probably involved as well, but every municipality, uh, every uh, county, every state, there are different guidelines. Different ones are under different kinds of regulations. So I can't address every one of those in this podcast. Remember, I'm trying to help the members of the Truth Church in Olathe, Kansas. So we're going to talk about the mandates that have been issued for us locally. Um, what mandates are there that might possibly be violated? Well, God has mandated that we preach the gospel. So if that's what God's requiring of us, do the current guidelines violate that command? Well, I want to tell you, at least for us, they don't. Things such as limiting our crowd to 10 people or less, following certain social distancing guidelines, maintaining uh, certain levels of, of cleanliness, none of that stops us from preaching the gospel. I'm going to tell you our church, from the time all of this began, has not missed one service. No one has ever implied that we're not able to preach. No one has limited our message, though they have put guidelines on our method. We're still preaching everything we've always preached, and not one governmental agency has tried to hinder that in any way. So I'm going to tell you that for them to recommend we limit ourselves to 10 is not a violation of the mandate to preach the gospel. I'm still preaching the gospel. In fact, I'm doing this podcast as a result of everything that's happened. It's pushed me into an area I'm not really comfortable, haven't been comfortable. I'm getting more comfortable because I've been doing it every day for about five weeks now. But, but I wasn't comfortable when I started. It's pushed me into that arena, but I'm still able to preach the gospel. I'm still able to declare everything I've been declaring for as long as I've been preaching. None of these limits have stopped that. Now, there's another mandate, which is the one that is most often being cited here, and it's found in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So here it is. Clearly, we have a mandate from God to assemble together. Now, to some, this means that we must all gather in the same location at the same time. Personally, I don't see it that way at all. In my very first podcast, I outlined how that the early church often met in homes. Remember, 3,000 were added to the church the first day. And they did not have one single church building in which they could meet. Oh, they went to the synagogue on Saturday. But as Christians, they didn't have a church building they could meet in. 
Was that early church violating God's mandate to assemble together? I don't think so. In fact, they found such favor with God that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do believe in the importance of the place we call God's house. In fact, in episode seven of this podcast, I stress the importance of coming together at the church building. I'm trying to say there, there has to be a balance here, but coming to the building is not what God mandated. He mandated that we have a time we assemble together. However, we have to go about accomplishing that. We're doing that. We're doing that through online services. We're doing that in a number of other ways. We're still coming together as a church body. Now, now listen, under the current circumstances, I want to make this very clear. I made a choice as pastor of the Truth Church. I made a choice to protect this flock. We moved to online services and a crowd size of 10 or less in the sanctuary before any governmental agency said we had to. The stand we have made is not because we have a lack of faith. It is not because we're cowering down to civil authorities. Rather, it was based on two very important factors. The first was the health of our congregation. We have elders among us, the elderly, those who have pre-existing conditions that put them at high risk. Many of them are extremely faithful to the house of God, and I am not going to put them in a place where they are in danger of coming down with something that may end their life. I made the choice. And the second reason why I did it was because our council of elders, this is a group of seasoned, well-known ministers with a proven track record to whom I am fully submitted. And this group of men showed by their example and through their words that this was the best thing for us to do at this time. So I was not giving in to pressure. I was not afraid. I was not faithless. I wasn't fearful that I was going to be thrown in jail, and that's why I did what I did. No, I did it out of concern for this congregation and out of submission to my elders. Now, make no mistake, I do believe that in certain locales, the government has definitely encroached on the liberties of others. However, I do not believe the church as a whole is being persecuted during this time. Think about it. If we're being persecuted, then restaurants are being persecuted. If we're being persecuted, then bars are being persecuted. Now, I know, I hear all of this. Well, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Home Depot, but you can't come to church. I understand all of that. But it's not just the church that's been singled out in this time. There are businesses that are shutting down, that are folding, that are having to get rid of their employees because they're under the same guidelines the church is under. This is not persecution. Now, I do believe that what's happening now is most likely preparing the way for a day that's yet to come in which the church will be persecuted and we will have to make a stand. I just don't believe 
that time is now. As I stated in my opening remarks, I do not want to address the one particular pastor who may be the focus of a lot of attention right now because he's claiming he's being persecuted. That's not what I want to do in this podcast. However, I do feel that I must say some things that address that particular situation for the sake of the saints of the Truth Church. There is much more to that particular situation than what is being circulated on social media. I appeal to you as your pastor, don't get caught up in something about which you only know what social media is telling you. I don't care if it's coming from your friends. I don't care who it's coming from. Don't get caught up in it. Look to your pastor. Look to your church leaders. Follow our example. Furthermore, in as much as this is garnering so much attention, I do feel the need to address two specific aspects connected with the pastor in question. First, I do not believe it is ever right to stage a public protest against civil authorities. While Peter and others obeyed God by disobeying civil and religious leaders, I find nowhere that they ever got involved in pulling crowds together for the express purpose of protesting those leaders. In fact, while we're talking about mandates from God, there is a mandate that we pray for those in authority rather than protest them. Let's go back and look again at Romans chapter 13, and let me just remind you of what Paul said here. He said in verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Look, we can resist when they tell us we're not allowed to preach, or when they tell us what we have to preach or what we cannot preach, then it's time to resist. And if you truly believe that the only way to assemble yourselves together is by coming to the church house, then resist. Stand up. Be counted. I'm all for you. I pray God's blessing upon you for doing what you believe God wants you to do about keeping that mandate. But I do want to tell you this. You should only resist the things that are directly violating God's authority. When you get involved in a public protest against the authority yourself uh, itself, you are not resisting man. You are resisting authority God invested in man. God didn't want Israel to have a king, but when they chose one, God expected them to obey that king so long as he did not try to lead them against God's authority. Furthermore, it is clear that God also expected Israel to honor and respect the office 
of the king. Even when Saul was backslidden and trying to kill David, David called him God's anointed and was convicted for even having cut off a part of that backslidden king's garment. David honored the office even when the officer was not right. Can I say that again? David honored the office even when the officer was not right. I'm not claiming police officers are always right, but I am claiming they are to always be respected. Organizing a public protest against them is not an act of respect. It is an act of resisting or opposing authority. The other factor that I feel compelled to address for my church, if you're listening and you don't attend this church, I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to the precious saints of God who want to do what's right, that are a part of the truth church. There is another situation connected to all of this. This same pastor recently issued a challenge for people to donate their stimulus checks to evangelists, missionaries, and, quote, ministers of music. Now, I know this sounds like a very thoughtful and generous gesture, and I will believe that the man meant well, but I'm going to ask you to think about something for a moment. Why are evangelists and missionaries struggling right now? It's because they derive their support from the local church. And the local church is struggling. You as a saint have an obligation to, first of all, pay your tithes and offerings on that stimulus check, not to an evangelist, not to a missionary, and certainly not to a, quote, music minister, whatever that is. I don't find that in the book of Ephesians anywhere. That's not where your tithes and offerings need to go. You owe tithes and offerings from that check to your local church. Now, I said a while ago I was speaking only to my saints, but if you happen to be a member of another church and you're listening in, I didn't call you here to listen, but since you're listening, this does apply to everybody in every church. You need to realize and understand your obligation is to the local church you attend. Now, if after you have paid your tithes and you've given an offering to your local church, you still feel led to give the remainder of that check to a missionary or evangelist, discuss it with your pastor. Don't take the recommendation of another man that is not your pastor and do what he says. You go talk to the man God put over you in your life. Discuss it with him. Run those funds through your church. I'm going to tell you, over the last few months, this church, the Truth Church, has gone through some very trying financial moments. Nevertheless, I have made sure we have continued to support our missionaries, even if that meant I took no salary personally. I'm sure there are other pastors that have done the same thing. I want you to be generous. I want you to give. I just don't want you jumping on every bandwagon promoted on social media without at least taking the time to discuss it with your pastor. If I know you want this to go to a missionary or to an evangelist, I can promise you I'm going to do my best to get it to them. And I think every other pastor would do the same. 
But for a man to get on social media and recommend to someone else's saints that they do something which is a clear violation of Scripture is not right. Again, saints, I'm not trying to speak down toward this man. I'm trying to be very cautious and conscientious. I don't ever want to in any way touch God's anointed. I really don't. But I am trying to help you as the members of the Truth Church to know what is right, what is wrong, where the lines are. Let me just assure you this. If the time ever comes that I see the rules, the regulations, the guidelines of the government or anybody else clearly contradicting the Scripture, I'm going to tell you your pastor is willing to go to jail if I have to. I've made that statement before and I'll make it again. I'm not afraid of that. I will not bow. I will not bend. I will not give in on my convictions. I just don't believe that we are at this moment being asked to violate the mandates of Scripture. As long as they are not telling us to do something that goes against the Word of God, then I believe we have an obligation to comply with the authorities. I hope that helps to clarify and, and, and helps to answer the questions that you might have. If not, feel free to contact me and ask for clarification on anything that I've said. I, I, I want to be transparent. I want to be open with you, saints of God. I care about you, and I'm just concerned because I see so many getting caught up in all of this and not really knowing where to turn. I'm trying to help you here to be able to stand firmly on what the Word of God says. Now, once again, thank you for joining us today. Please let me remind you, we're here to help you in any way we can. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to contact us. I do want to remind you, we're encouraging everyone to send a prayer request with your personal needs to prayer at olathatruth.com. That's prayer at olathatruth.com. Until next time, take care and God bless.